How is your day going? What kind of day are you having? I'm having a weird day. I I started working on this show this morning and uh, getting everything in order, which I do every day. And then I had like a big interruption and I was away from everything for a couple of hours. And in normal times, if there is such a thing as normal times, that would not bother me. But the way things are going in the news these days, I, I have like all this anxiety that maybe in the last two hours, like uh, we have a new president or there's another war going on or, you know, and it's just things are moving fast. And a lot of stuff is happening that you almost can't. It's like drinking from a fire hose, right? Like you, you're aware of it. You're, you're keeping up with it. And we're all able to do that because of our devices. But do, do you ever get the feeling that you can kind of keep up with what's happening, but you don't, it's happening faster than you can make up your mind about it or, uh, understand like what it means or why it's important or what is and is not important. And then they throw all this crap at you that is not important, you know, i.e. Taylor Swift. And you're like, okay, but move that aside. Get that out of my way because I need to know this, this, and this. That's how I feel right now. So anyway, that's where I'm coming from. Um, a couple of things that, that, that jumped out at me. Um, one of the big stories today is that Israel has killed the, the Hamas leader who they say orchestrated or led the October 7th attack. And the TV news, if you haven't had a chance to watch the coverage of it tonight, you're going to see pictures of a ginormous crater where they hit this guy. And the explanation for that is that the crater is the result of all the tunnels that were underneath what, wherever this guy was, whatever building this guy was in. And I think that sums up this whole war, don't you? I mean, when I when I listen to people in this country debating the Palestinian people and showing them mercy and having a ceasefire and, and getting them humanitarian help and they're living in an open-air prison, I always think, well, wait a minute, who are their actual captors? It's their leaders. There isn't anything you could have done to the Palestinian people worse than what their own leaders did on October 7th. And what their own leaders did on October 7th was launch a military-style, all-out, asymmetrical, savage attack on Israel from the territories in which the Palestinian people live, from the open-air prison, as the left likes to call it. And then those same leaders, many of whom are not even Palestinians, came back and hid behind the people that our left is now championing. So you attacked the, 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 the toughest guy on the block, and then you hid behind your own people. So that when the toughest guy on the block retaliates and he's doing it, your people get to pay the price. And I'm sorry, but if you, if you, if your heart bleeds for the Palestinian people, if you've got the Gazan flag on your Facebook profile, your problem is not with Israel. Your problem is with Hamas and the Palestinian Authority. Get it right. 
Get your head out of your wherever and get it right. Because the whole, this entire framework is bananas. This entire conversation we're having about Israel is bananas. We've talked about how it's unearthed or or revealed what apparently was a lot of latent anti-Semitism. So we know that now. We're aware of that. We're going to have to live with that going forward. But but at least get the, the facts right. And whatever's happening now to the Palestinian people was brought on to them by their own alleged leaders. And about Israel. You know why you're having a problem with Israel's response? Because you don't recognize Israel's response. And you know why you don't recognize Israel's response? Because Israel's responding to an attack on its people the way all countries used to. They are fighting fire with fire. They're doing what... You know, remember yesterday we talked about the 75 years? Okay. Before the 75 years, the last 75, this unusual, extraordinary era that Peter Zihan writes about in his book, you, this is how you responded. If you had the ability, if you could, this is how you responded to being savagely attacked, whether you were attacked by a neighbor, whether you were attacked by pirates, whether you were attacked by faraway conquerors or empire builders, this is how you fought back. You know what I wonder about? Everybody says Biden is supporting Israel. He's saying supportive things about Israel. He's sending stuff. But I wonder if this White House isn't attempting to micromanage the response. I I get the feeling, just reading between the lines, listening to people like Jake Sullivan and Anthony Blinken, I just get the feeling that they're not super comfortable with the response. And again, they're not because we don't do this anymore. Um, We have come to believe as a country that there are proper procedures. There are international forums you go to. You go to the UN, you get a resolution, you... You write a letter of condemnation. You uh, you call out bad behavior, and you give scathing speeches about it, uh, and you uh, threaten to do stuff that's incremental. And you lecture the people that are killing you about what they are allowed and not allowed to do about the proper ways of war. Keep hearing about that. I think the I think the rules of warfare or the rules of humanitarian conduct of military operations I think those kind of went out the window when the paragliders were coming in on the rock concert don't you think So uh, when I look at this increasingly uh, to me what we are looking at is either a return to the way sovereign nations defend themselves and and respond to attacks or maybe this is the last time we're going to see one like this maybe they're the last ones to do it i read something interesting they keep talking about uh, there's a great interest in and of course i understand why especially if you had relatives there's a great interest in the hostages that hamas is holding And there's a lot of talk about how what Israel does and how they do it must be respectful of and mindful of not causing harm to the Hamas hostages, which I understand that on its face, but you do realize that's why the hostages have been taken, right? 
the the point of having the hostages is to act as a restraint and to act as a caution or curb on the response to the October 7th attack. Well, then I read today that there are actually hundreds more hostages than we were told because they're not letting Americans, Canadians, Germans that were in Gaza at the time of the attack leave. So these people aren't in the clutches of Hamas officially. They're not regarded as hostages, but they're also in the the war zone and can't get out. So really, it's a lot more than 100 or 200 or whatever the number is officially acknowledged uh, at the moment. And I guess where I'm going with this is just to say I, I respect that we want to get them home safely. It should be the high priority. It is the high priority. But it's also why they are being held. This is who we're dealing with. And in this country... This entire um, political debate, the framing of it, the stuff that the, the, two, the two parties are saying, the stuff that the talking heads on cable are saying, all of this is driven by two things. One, we're not really living it. It hasn't happened here. The minute it happens here, and God forbid, I hope it doesn't, but the minute the terrorism comes back here, you lose a lot of that luxury of, of distance or detachment, right? The other thing that's going on here, I think it's pretty clear. Uh, maybe there's three things, because we talked about the anti-Semitism yesterday. But the other, the other thing that's really pretty clear is we're about to find out if there really are rules of international conduct and world order and all that stuff. You know, something I never really thought about till I read Peter Zihan's book was he was talking about oil tankers. And oil tankers are the slowest ships in the ocean. They, they're they so big, they're so heavy, that they, they, they're just barely moving. So they're sailing along with cargoes worth millions of dollars, with the most sought-after commodity in the world, liquid gold. And they sail through some of the most dangerous places in the world. And they sail past some of the most dangerous countries in the world, most unstable places. And his point was, it's a wonder that any of them ever get where they're going. But the only reason they do is because there is a recognized order that if you start attacking or pirating or privateering these tankers, the U.S. Navy will protect them, will we'll respond. And we have in the past. Uh, presidents like Reagan and, and uh, Clinton and Obama have had to convoy the tankers, or escort the tankers, excuse me. But if we are withdrawing from our role doing that, there isn't anyone else who does that. There isn't an international police, there isn't a UN Navy, there isn't some sort of other entity and why would there not be piracy and privateering of oil tankers of cargo ships of container ships that contain luxury automobiles high-end electronics why would those tankers ever get where they're going they're very soft targets 
They move very slowly. Their movements are known to everyone. It's, it's all over the Internet, where the ships are, what's on board, everything. No other Navy other than the United States has a, a, a Navy that can operate globally. So even if there was another country interested in stepping up and saying, look, we'll make sure that the world gets its Teslas and its phones and its you know, genes and whatever, there isn't anyone else to do it. So the only thing that makes the, the, the globalization of trade work is us. And there's a lot of stuff like that that we don't even know we're doing. And once in a while, we'll talk about it. We'll complain about it. Trump, remember, complained about why are we paying to defend countries that can afford to defend themselves. That's a good question. It's a legit question. But, but just think for a minute how fast the world is going to change when the bad guys figure out there are no rules. And there is no one to enforce the rules. And there's no one with either the ability or the willingness. This whole world order that we think we have is just habit. It's just presumptions and assumptions that a tanker can leave an oil-rich country and reach Houston or reach wherever it's going for a refinery. But there's no, no reason why it should. In fact, there's more reasons why it shouldn't than why it should. So that's kind of where my head is at right now, for starters. Uh, We're going to go to a lot of other places here as we go along, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. Uh, I wanted to start with um, some of what's going on in the headlines today with uh, this war. And um, this is the story of an ice cream shop in San Francisco. In fact, it's a chain uh, in San Francisco called Smitten. And... uh, there was a story in the San Francisco Chronicle about how they closed one of their locations. And, you know, you hear all these stories about San Francisco businesses and homeless people and public defecation and uh, big retailers leaving high-end shopping centers and malls. But this is the sort of the other end of the spectrum. This is a small business that's local and they're, they're selling ice cream. And they closed this store because the building was vandalized. And the building was vandalized with anti-Semitic and pro-Palestinian spray paint. Like free Palestine was sprayed on the plate glass window. It was misspelled, but it was sprayed on there. Uh, They've been uh, open and in business since 2009. And they've been expanding, and they have stores uh, in San Jose and Las Vegas as well. But they closed their um, ice cream shop because of the vandalism, which in turn was because it came out that they're a Jewish-owned business. And the owner is not saying very much, probably because he or she is hoping that they can fly under the radar and keep the other locations open. Now, think for a minute about what we're doing here. First of all, we're the country people come to to get away from this kind of stuff. We're the refuge. People are fleeing places where this kind of thing is the norm, and they're coming here to get away from it. Secondly, in, in terms of this whole I support Palestine and I support Palestinians, now, they've closed the ice cream shop, which probably means what? 
It probably means that the people who work there don't have a job anymore, unless the business has absorbed them into their other locations, which would be very nice, but doesn't always work out. So what you've done is you've lost the neighborhood a place to get ice cream. You've caused people who knows what their politics are or their ethnicity or their positions on things to lose their jobs. It'll probably have a ripple effect on other businesses in that area. It'll probably be hard to rent that storefront out to somebody else when they find out what happened to it. And you're doing this because you are supporting some entity of people that you don't really know anything about or that you think are the victims of colonialists or whatever, except that those people are actually the victims of the people you're championing because they picked a fight and then hid behind their civilian population, and they're still doing it. And we're now living like it's 1930s Germany. This seems to have come on us pretty quickly, doesn't it? I'm beginning to wonder if it was as fast as it feels. Like, it, it, it to me, my first thought when, when I started seeing these kinds of stories the last few weeks was, wh- where is this, where's this coming from? But as I've thought about it, it's pretty obvious where it's coming from. We're now reaping the rewards of the way we educate people. If you can't critically think, if you can't sift through stuff you hear and stuff you're told to discern and decide what's verifiable and what's true and what's right, then you get this. I was reading the other day about how much young people get their news from TikTok. Like, teenagers get most of their news from TikTok. And to us, that doesn't make sense because we we think of TikTok, we think of like little comedy videos and funny little things. And it's, a, it's a time killer. You've probably lost 30 minutes. I know I have. You fall down the rabbit hole. But we're, we're not really going in the deep end. If you're, if, you're, if you're on TikTok all the time, it becomes like a store that has everything. So you're watching the sexy people and the funny people and the fashion trends and the makeup trends and the new music and movies. And then somebody starts talking about the Palestinians and you're already there and it's the store that has everything. You buy everything else at that store, so you buy that product too. And in another day and time, we we would have had the critical thinking skills. At least enough of them would have been like we would have had herd immunity, right? Maybe not everybody had them, but enough people would have the critical thinking skills to 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 say, well, wait a minute. This chick with the eyebrows and she's seventeen and she's explaining the history of Palestine may not know everything. Maybe maybe doesn't really know. Uh, maybe this isn't true. Like maybe I need to get a book or look in some other places. Ask somebody I know, but. It's the store that has everything. You're already there. And you don't, you, nothing in our education system prepares you to assess or critically think 
our entire education system has become an obedience and memorization exercise. Obey what we order you to do. Wear that mask. Sit down. Six feet apart. Or regurgitate what we tell you. Vomit back up the stuff that we're pouring down your throat every day. I mean, I'm sorry. I know that's not nicely put, but that's basically what we're now doing. And if teachers can't put aside their own feelings, and if curricula can't put aside its biases, then we're not raising well-rounded, let me hear both sides of it, let me see what the real history of the region is kind of Americans. We're just raising people that are triggered by or inspired by the most appealing version of events that they hear. And it's interesting because we used to, you know, 20, 30 years ago, we were worried about media bias. We were worried about whether Dan Rather was influencing the way people heard the news or whether uh, the, the local newspaper had a had an obvious prejudice or bias in what it reported or didn't. But we're way beyond that now. We're way beyond that now. You can't tell where stuff comes from now. Like, remember the George Bush National Guard story right before the 04 election? You wouldn't be able to find the origin of that story now. It wouldn't be some name news organization. And I think that's how we got to the point where they closed the ice cream shop. 210-599-5555. You could join the show. Um, Thank you for listening. Uh, We, uh, one of the first um, kind of interesting sidebar stories after the attack by Hamas was that group of students at Harvard that signed the statement supporting the terrorists and denouncing the apartheid state. And then they took all the grief and the fallout from signing that letter, and some of the organizations unsigned it, and some of the students renounced signing it, and some of them, before they could do so, had job offers and other perks withdrawn from them because they had um, basically come out in support of or sympathy with terrorists. And in a more general sense, they had, you know, they leaped before they looked. There was an article I was reading about people being investigated for their social media posts, which has been going on for a long time, and um, how people get fired or disciplined by their companies when they're praising Hitler or tweeting anti-Semitic things. Um, What do you think about that? Should people pay a price if they are supporting terrorists or spouting anti-Semitism? I'm not asking you how you feel about their opinion. I'm asking you, do you think it's legit that they have to resign, that they get fired, that they have jobs, uh, job offers withdrawn, as happened in a couple of cases, at least a couple that I know of. I, I, I think there's a difference between firing people for their political opinions and firing people who are defending atrocities. And in the one instance, when you fire people that have different political opinions, I don't think you can make the argument that your company cannot afford or function 
with both Trump and Biden voters or with Republicans and Democrats. Like, I don't, you're not going to convince me that that's just, that's unworkable. You, we, can't, we can't have that. So when companies do that kind of firing or disciplining, I, I think that's just personal taste. You, you have your, you run the company and you have your view and you don't want people from the other team. But if somebody is defending death, defending murder, defending rape, defending exterminating the Jews and driving them into the sea, I think you have a moral imperative, and I also think you have a company to look out for. Like now, now you're talking about something that you may pay the price for what they are saying. And it's called accountability. It's not that they don't have the right to say it, but they're not free from the ramifications or consequences of saying it. I am free to go into a bar tonight, go up to the biggest guy in the bar, arms like barrels, covered in tattoos, and insult him. I am free to do that. But I also have to bear the consequences of doing that. I can't be free from the consequences. And it's interesting how all of a sudden cancel culture is a terrible thing on the left. They were always defending it before because it was not happening to them, and it was happening to people they generally didn't like. So they liked the concept because they liked the targets, but then when it started happening to Harvard students, when it started happening to these a-holes that that in fact actually started cancel culture when it when it turned on them and and by the way how many times did we say it's going to turn on you someday you'll have to live under the rules you're making for others i'm not i'm not trying to take credit i mean a lot of people said it i I was just one of them but but it, it was said over and over these are these are the rules you made this is the response you crafted. I, I, I would remind people that are complaining, you fired people for not taking a vaccine. You fired people for voting for Trump. These even, aren't even people that were like instrumental in electing him. They just put on their Twitter or their Facebook that they support Trump. You fired people for having a different opinion, not a not an opinion that could lead to the deaths of other people, just a different opinion. Not an opinion that advocated for genocide, just a different opinion. You made it sound like it was the end of democracy. Well, if it's the end of democracy because somebody's a Trump voter, then what do we do with the person that's a genocide advocate? And I'm not saying this in a let's pay him back kind of mode. Maybe it sounds that way, and I, 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 that really isn't it. I mean, we were told at one point that if you had a MAGA hat on, that was like wearing the Klan outfit, you know, the white hood. Now these people are taking positions that are way more, um, way more uh, hateful, spiteful, and and... 
because they are now paying consequences for those positions, all of a sudden this cancel culture is just awful. It's a funny thing when people encounter the consequences of their own actions or run across their own, the stuff they designed. They, they, they actually encounter stuff they designed on the business end of it. So you have free speech to say you support the terrorists who ambushed Israel and slaughtered. You, ha- you absolutely have the right to say that this is decolonization. But it may not look good on your resume. It may be off-putting to a job interviewer. It, it, it may be something that a company does not want to associate its image with, and since it's associated with you, by extension, you are part of that. That goes with it. It it also kind of points out, I'm not sure that, that a lot of these people really thought through the position they took, and this goes back to the TikTok thing. There's an instantaneous, yeah, click, thumbs up, whatever, you know, in this in this social media age of ours, we we vote like a gazillion times a day on stuff. We we approve, we like, we follow. These are unconscious decisions. We're just used to it. And the younger you are, the more you are. But every one of those things actually turns out to maybe have like a tail on it. Like you might come back later on. You might, somebody might follow up on that, might notice that you did that or associated with that. Anyway, 210-599-5555. What do you think about people losing jobs or paying a price in their job because they support Hamas. So w- what are your thoughts about people coming out in favor of Hamas, people posting about, you know, uh, Israel's an apartheid state, et cetera, et cetera, and then the company fires them, the company disciplines them, uh, the job offer is withdrawn. Randy is on the Jack Riccardi show on KTSA. Randy, good afternoon. Yeah. Good afternoon. Well, I think it's been going on for as long as I remember, not just now. This has been going on forever. It's just it was always under the radar. You didn't get hired unless you fit the crowd. Uh, How do you think Arnold Schwarzenegger got hired in Hollywood being the son of a Nazi? He constantly had to suck up to to the rulers of Hollywood. I mean, it's just the way it is. Why doesn't David Duke have a radio show? Tell me, because he's squeezed out. Why do these media companies are all? I'm not sure that's. I'm not sure that's. I think you're over. I think you're oversimplifying it, Randy. I, I, I actually think you you've got it backwards. Um, for the longest time, um, you could get hired by a company that didn't even know how you voted or what your politics were. I know I did. Uh, my employers had no idea. They didn't know and they didn't ask. And you wouldn't have been right, able to the tell them or out. advertise it because there was nothing. There was most people didn't have a platform to proclaim okay, what yeah. they believed. I so this see. is a pretty recent phenomenon. Uh, who you're a son of or what your lineage is—that's a—that's—that's that's a totally different thing. David Duke is a crappy radio talk show host. That's why he doesn't have a radio show. He had one and it was no good. Uh, well. I think um, I think what I'm asking is in the in the era of everybody has a front page, okay? Everybody has, a, you know, access to a platform. 
I mean, you may not be using it, or you may not be using it that way. Maybe you just put up pictures of your of your cat or something. But everybody potentially can advertise their brand and what they're for and what they're against. Um, is it legit that people are paying a price for supporting Hamas? Or are you going to say, well, you know, Jack, if conservatives didn't like it when it was about Trump support, then they should be decrying it when it's about Hamas support. One hand washes the other. If it's wrong, it's wrong all the time. Is there a distinction between, and I think there is, obviously, but you can disagree. Isn't there a distinction between my politics are different than yours and I'm advocating a death cult and I'm calling for or endorsing the mass extermination of, of a people. Like, that's not the same thing as I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat. And I realize that there are people who will say, well, I think the Democrats are a party of death because they're... Pro-. But, but let's, let's, let's at least see that there's a little bit of daylight between I disagree with you and you would like to kill people like me. There is a difference. Should there be, and does... Is this all cancel culture, or is this accountability instead of cancel, or what would you say? There was a phenomenon in Lewiston, Maine, um, in the days after that shooting, where where, uh, families of the victims were carrying pictures of their loved ones, sort of hugging the pictures to their chest, but the picture was facing out. And it was like they wanted not just to be seen, themselves, but they wanted their loved one to be seen, to be present, to not be forgotten, or maybe to, to, most of us had never seen these people before, so this is who you, you never met. This is who I am grieving. And it reinforces the humanity of people that might otherwise just be statistics or names in an article. They were also putting pictures of their loved ones up around town. Now, their loved ones were not missing in the sense of nobody knows where they are, but they were missing in the sense of being missed. And I would imagine that no one in Lewiston, Maine, tore down or vandalized those flyers. Who would do that? Why would you do that? And missing person posters, heck, even like missing pet posters, are um, almost inviolable. Even if you don't have any information or use for that, you recognize that is somebody's every waking moment, thought, obsession. No decent person would rip that down. Why are people ripping down the posters of the dead, the missing, the hostages in Gaza. Why are people in this country, I saw a story over the weekend, a Broadway producer, very famous uh, producer, James Simon. Uh, He's produced things like Death of a Salesman. And he's an adult grown man. And he was caught on film brazenly tearing down a series of civilians that had been kidnapped by the Hamas terrorists and crumpling them up and throwing them in a garbage can. The 
Boston Globe columnist Jeff Jacoby writes about the phenomenon of people ripping down the posters. He says, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is intensely controversial. It generates great emotion on both sides. But assaults on the kidnap posters have nothing to do with the merits of the dispute. The sole purpose of the flyers is the humanity of the innocent hostages seized by Hamas, many of whom, as it happens, were peace activists deeply committed to Arab-Israeli coexistence. What drives the people ripping down the posters or adding Hitler mustaches to the pictures, he writes, is a pathological need to deny the humanity of those kidnapped Jews. They're not human. They're not one of us. He writes, a core principle of anti-Semites in all times and places is that Jews are not actually human. A thousand years ago, Jews were slaughtered by crusaders for being Christ killers who consumed the blood of children. A century ago, Hitler preached that they were subhumans who polluted the racial purity of Aryan Europe. Aryan Europe. Today, the Jewish state is accused of committing the demonic crimes of genocide and apartheid. He writes, the poison never changes, only the vial it comes in. And um, I want to play this for you. This was a street scene in New York where um, this guy who it turns out is a construction worker spotted another guy. He's a young guy, bearded guy, looks to me maybe mid-20s. And he is walking down a street that really to me looks like it's either like Brooklyn or Queens. But anyway, he's walking down the street. He's just tearing down those posters as he comes to them. They're on every post or thing, so he, he's just tearing them down as he goes. This guy confronts him. There's some language here. Take a listen. Cut number six. All right. I'm a veteran. I'm telling you. All right. Don't do it. He's I'm not f-ing Jewish. He's not Jewish. I don't know if he is or not. It doesn't matter. This is f-ing the U.S. That's New York City. You don't have a f-ing right to touch that this is a free country. You can wave your Palestine flag and say yeah, death to the Jews or America whenever you want. But we can put a sign. Okay? We, then don't rip that down. You are doing something. You're offending us. Yeah, you are. When you throw that on the floor, you're littering the city. In a minute, I'm going to litter the floor with you. You have the proof? So move the gun. You have proof that not kidnapped? No. So shut the up. I know that's what you want. I'm dying in a hospital. Come on. You piece of you know, I know people that don't like cats, but they don't tear down cat missing cat posters. I know people that don't like dogs. They would never tear down a missing dog poster. I know people that don't play the guitar. They wouldn't tear down a free guitar, not free, but guitar lessons poster. I think that was the, that was the joke that I'm trying to remember who told it. Ricky Gervais, maybe. Some comedian told a joke about cancel culture where he said, you know, uh, if I don't want the guitar lessons and I see this, the sign with the little phone number flyers on it, should I tear it down because I'm not interested, therefore no one needs to see that? Like, I, I, know, they're, I know they're just pieces of paper in one sense, but if, you're, if, you, if you are offended by what someone else is calling attention to, or you think you have the right to deny that message being seen by anybody else, 
don't we have kind of a problem with the whole like fabric of society thing? Like this is again that stuff that we never talk about. It's the invisible glue that kind of makes everything work and holds everything together. Do you get the sense that the glue is starting to dissolve or disintegrate? We're not we're not talking about these are these are seemingly minor symptoms, but maybe today it's the poster. And maybe tomorrow or next week, it's a business owned by somebody. And then it's, I don't know. I i don't agree with their uh, political point of view, or I don't agree with where they're from, or I don't agree with the race or ethnicity they're from. So I don't want their kids at my school, or I don't want them in my neighborhood, or, you know. This is the stuff that we just took for granted. We would get along. We would we would work through this. And again, you walk past the poster, you just don't even pay attention to it. We we you and I see posters every day. We don't really see them. They're there, but they're not. They're, they have no value or interest for us. So we just look through them, look past them. I think it's I think it's kind of a symptom of a bigger thing that somebody would walk down the street going, every time I see one of those, I'm ripping it down. I don't think it stops with that. Like, I think that probably feels pretty good to that person. I mean, it's a pretty, pretty terrible thing to do, but it probably feels pretty good to that person. It's probably the, it's probably the closest thing to self-importance they have in the course of the day. And then uh, where does that go? Like when you run out of the posters to tear down, but you still want that feeling, what do you, then what do you do after that? David Wright, JackKTSA.com. It's because there's no shame. We've done, we've done away with shame. And he was uh, pointing out in his email that he's seen a lot of videos, and actually I have too. When people are confronted, when, when people are caught tearing down the, the kidnapped you know, people signs, which obviously if you're putting them up in the United States, it's symbolic. They're not going to be spotted here. We're not going to find them here. But when you're tearing it down and you're confronted and you're caught, a lot of these people, he points out, and I agree, revert to this sort of victim uh, status or victimhood uh, where instead of they're doing something wrong, they are now victims of you confronting them with their own actions. And it's... They don't like it. It's weird because they want the feeling of tearing the sign down. And and most of what people do because it makes them feel better also is something they want to be noticed for, right? The world is full of people clamoring for attention, right? But in this case, I guess they want the feeling of tearing the sign down, but for no one to actually see them do it. Do you think the missing person posters, kidnapped victim posters, are are they political? Or is this just the human experience? I mean, what if we stopped thinking for a minute about Jews and Palestinians and we just thought, well, Whatever happened to that guy or whatever happened to that girl, that's somebody's child. 
And you know how you feel about your children, right? I mean, your your feelings about your children are exponentially bigger than your than your politics. And how you feel about them. And the way we respect each other's feelings about children. And you when you know someone who's had a child die prematurely or suddenly or tragically or violently, we never tread more carefully than in that moment. You do not know what to say. A lot of times we just hug people. We don't say anything. There's nothing to say. People that are good with words can't find the words. In a moment like that, you just don't know what to say. I I wonder why we can't just think, well, th- that's somebody's son. That's somebody's daughter. I hope they get home. I, I, I'm not even thinking about what they stand for or where they were or even, for that matter, who's holding them. I mean, I know that's important, but... I just hope I hope that person's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna think a good thought, or I'm gonna say a prayer for that person. Why can't we just walk past with that? So, are the posters political? Well, they represent a political act. They represent a political narrative. It's a dopey narrative, but it's somebody's narrative. But the sight of that poster is making otherwise functional people. James Simon is an accomplished, admired, artistic, creative guy. He he acts like an insane person. I think we need to wonder about why we're doing this or why some people are doing this. Because I think it's like a tip of an iceberg that we're going to find out about later on. Um, This is the kind of thing that I think if we don't, grapple with it, we will look back later and go, that was the first sign and we and we missed it. it. It's that whole, it starts like this, you know, it started like this, this is where it began, you know, kind of thing. 210-599-5555. I got to play this for you because I'm trying to figure out, I'd, I'd be interested in your theory, what is Jake Tapper at CNN um, up to? Um, he's talking here, this is from Sunday on State of the Union on CNN, and he's talking to um, Jake Sullivan, who's President Biden's national security advisor. Don, let's play cut number four. Jake Tapper, cut number four. I, I, I'm not pretending I have the answers. I get it. Israel, look, I mean, we can go back however many years people want, if, if whether they want to start in the Hashemite Kingdom or the Ottoman Empire or in 1948 or in 1968 or 1973 or 2000 or 2008. Whenever they want to start the conversation, we can start. But if we want to start on October 7th, we can start on October 7th. And the bottom line is, as as, as far as the IDF is concerned, the government of the country next door invaded, killed 1,400 of their citizens and went back, and they have a right to take out that government. That's how the IDF sees it. And I get that the Biden administration is on board. My question is, is the IDF going out, going, um, going about this the right way? Do you think they're going about this the right way? What we believe is that every hour, every day of this military operation, the IDF, the Israeli government, should be taking every possible means available to them to distinguish between... And are they? 
terrorists who are legitimate military targets and civilians who are not. And I'm not going to react to every strike, every move that they make. What I'm going to say is that is our principle. That is our advice to them. That is what we are communicating. And we continue to do that at the highest levels. The president will speak again with the prime minister in a few hours time today, and he will continue to reiterate the United States' position on this issue. It is clear, it is straightforward, and we believe that it is rooted in the fundamental laws of war. Oh, fundamental laws of war. Um, I, I'm not faulting Jake Sullivan, tale of two Jakes, because I think he has to give very generic, bland answers given the situation. So his answers are okay. But two things I noticed about Tapper. First of all, somebody's been Googling right that list of dates like it's just he's just rattling them off the top of his head somebody's been googling and then the whole um look i don't know the answer i don't have the answer here but are we doing this right are they going about this the right way Uh, that question is so bananas to me first of all how do we get a how do we get a vote in that I've been told by the left the last two years that we can't question what Ukraine is doing, even though I think we can because we're paying for their war and we're employing and pretty much paying their entire domestic budget. But no, you can't ask any questions about Ukraine and what they're doing and how they're doing it. You haven't even heard about Ukraine in how many weeks, right? You haven't even seen a news story about Ukraine, right? But all of a sudden there's all this interest in and um, sort of from the peanut gallery judging of how, well, is Israel going about this the right way? And like I said before, I think I think the reason that's even a question is because we have not seen a sovereign country going about it the right way. Hell yes, they're going about it the right way. There wasn't anybody during World War II that said, are, are you sure we should be bombing all these Japanese cities? Is this really the right thing to do? There was no one calling for a ceasefire during World War II. We were bombing the bleep out of German and Japanese cities, and in fact, even other cities in Europe where there were German uh, forces. Day, bombing, night, bombing, round-the-clock production of more weapons, more planes, more bombs, more technology to make the bombs more precise, more uh, research and development to make weapons more deadly, to penetrate uh, enemy code and uh, secrecy. I mean, I know there was a little bit of debate, obviously, and has been ever since about the atomic bombs. There was probably a little bit of static about things like the Dresden bombing and uh, the firebombing in Tokyo and I think even the Doolittle Raid. But, I mean, nobody was calling for a ceasefire. This whole, are they going about it the right way, is it's the um, conceit or the luxury of being able to turn this into a cocktail party discussion. And that's what he's having. Well, let's examine, would, uh, do we feel they're going about this the right way? I mean, F you, I'm sorry, but you know what? That, that They're doing not only everything they should do, but they're probably not doing everything they should do. And they're surrounded, they're outnumbered, they're out-moneyed, they're out-everything in that region of the world. They are a people that have been chased out of everywhere else they settled. 
they have seen in the last few weeks atrocities the world really has not seen in, in a long time. I know there's genocides and there are war crimes in Africa and places that we don't really get very much news from. But in terms of what we hear on a daily basis, we're digesting some things that are pretty extreme. And they are. They have lived next to people that have been threatening to do this for a long time. So you can imagine the unleashing of now it's actually happened. And there's Jake Tapper, you know, <laughs> just with with rattling off his. Can we hear just the dates again, Don? I just I love the the quiet brag of that. I, I, I'm not pretending I have the answers. I get it. Israel, look, I mean, we can go back however many years people want, if, if whether they want to start Stop the top of his head here. The Kingdom or the Ottoman Empire or 1948 or 1968 or 1973 <laughs> or 2000 or 2008. Whenever they want to start the conversation, yeah. we can start. Well, Don, weren't we just talking about the Hashemite Kingdom last night, you and I? I think we It's funny how we would mention that. We were just talking about that, as we often do, having one of our Hashemite Kingdom conversations. Um, so real quick update on Rapping with Jack. Um and if you haven't uh, heard about it, you can get all the details at KTSA.com. But this is our big annual uh, effort, campaign, push with Family Service Association. We're asking you to help us provide a gift, one gift per family member for the approximately 600 families that they serve here in San Antonio. They're the oldest family charity in the city. And these are basic things of everyday life, uh, so they're not high-ticket items. And you may want to give for a whole family. You may want to give just enough for one gift, however you feel like doing it. All the details on what you can do and how to do it are at KTSA.com. But somebody gave me an idea uh, the other day that I thought was very interesting. A lot of these families um, had, you know, we all had a bad experience with COVID and businesses being closed and layoffs and so forth. A A lot of the folks in these families they were in those quote-unquote non-essential jobs, and they have struggled since then. So you're talking about people that, I mean, we're all in a different place after COVID, but some of these families really got knocked down, and they've never been the same since. Uh, They may have lost an apartment. They may have lost a family member. Somebody who was earning money may not be healthy, as healthy as they were this Lots and lots of these kids that are being raised by grandparents and the strain, you know what the strain is of that, both financial and otherwise. So if you can find it in your heart, I know it's a tough year, to help us help these families, go to KTSA.com, take a look at it, see what feels right to you, what amount feels right, and you can give money, you can buy things off an online wish list that ships directly to Family Service Association, or you can... Um, if you like going shopping, go out there, pick things out, and drop them at our sponsor drop-off locations, all of which are listed at ktsa.com. It's Wrapping with Jack. It's sponsored by Quarter Moon Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning, uh, and in part by River City Oral Surgery, Institute for Functional Health, and Copenhagen Imports. All right, so um, kind of been talking about some different angles with the uh, the war and this Jake Tapper clip uh, that is... You know, him saying to our national security advisor, are we sure that Israel is is going about their response the right way? 
I don't know where to even begin with how ridiculous a question that is because even though we are the biggest ally and supplier of Israel, Israel is the one that absorbed this attack. Israel is the Jewish nation. Israel is the place where babies were beheaded and a baby was found in an oven and children are missing and hostages are being held. And and moreover, Israel is, is responding in a way that I'm not sure we would. Like, I don't know how you can ask this administration, which left people and equipment behind everywhere they've left, everywhere they've vacated, how do you ask Jake Sullivan, are they going about it the right way? Like, maybe the better thing to say would be, hey, Jake Sullivan, take notes. This is what a righteously indignant nation does in defense of its own people. This is how you defend borders. This is what sovereignty really means. Not saying things and holding votes at the UN, but acting. This is what it means to take responsibility And war is horrendous. That's why it's the last resort. But when you fight it, you go all out. And I'm not worried about Israel going in too hard or too strong. I don't know. Maybe I'm just just speaking for myself here. But I'm not worried about it. I'm worried that they don't go in enough. I'm I'm worried they don't finish it. You know, I, I said this at the beginning of this thing. I'm not praying for peace right now. I'm praying for victory. Esteban is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Esteban, welcome. Good evening. I got two quick points. First of all, I'm tired of these so-called experts telling Israel what to do. Don't they look back in the history of even the Vietnam War where dictatorships put civilian infrastructure really close to military installations just to get the horrible pictures? Mm-hmm. And these brats tearing down posters, thinking that they're the ones that are oppressed. I had an uncle. I'll tell you what oppression is. Walk, being forced to walk at gunpoint on the way to school past a pile of corpses for a whole month, whole winter's month, because the Nazis wanted to explain to you, this is what happens when you rebel against us. Now, that is oppression, walking past a pile of frozen bodies in the snow, going to school for a month, mm. uh, being confronted because you're removing a piece of speech that you disagree with is not oppression. The kid is a brat. The, kid, the construction wor- worker should have pulled out his belt and brought him <laughs> over his legs and give him a and gave him a few yeah. looks to show him what oppression yeah. is. Would have been an act of love. Yeah, because we have a bunch of spoiled, rotten brats, just like a friend of mine from the east side. He posted during the whole Antifa riots after the George Floyd thing a bunch of white chicks throwing rocks at a store. Did they know that 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 store might have been minority owned? Yeah, Those right. Oppressors. It's about how it makes you feel. It's not. It, it's not about knowing what you're doing or knowing what the 
ramifications are. It just feels it just feels empowered and empowering. And if you're a part of a, a a culture that's never had shame and never told you no, uh, and this feels like the thing you want to do, then you just then you just do it. You know, I'll... what's scary to me, Esteban, is they can be in the crowd or they can be running around in their Doc Martens ripping down posters right now, but in 10 or 20 years, they will be sitting at the, 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 um, in, in some powerful seats. They will be running some, some powerful, influential things. They may have authority over somebody like you or me getting medical treatment or insurance or whatever it is. I, I don't know what will happen between now and then that will equip them to be human beings. I think you use the proper word, equip them to be human beings because they're not human beings. And I hope I'm gone by then. I hope okay. I checked okay. out by then. We, you, and, you and I both, both may be, but uh, here's to a long life. Uh, Esteban, thank you. Liliana is on the radio. Hi, Liliana. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. What I'm going to say will trigger a lot of educated liberals, but no matter what Israel does, these educated liberals are going to hate the Jewish people for them simply being Jewish. It does not matter what that what Israel does. And honestly, I stand with Israel. I think Israel should make Gaza a desert again. Just outright obliterate that. Order three mother of all bombs from America and just wipe that place off the planet. Yeah, we probably won't sell them the stuff that would do that, right? I mean, I I can't see the Biden people because they then they they'd be complicit and that that they're not going to do that. They're gonna they're gonna try to dictate targets and you know paint the way well, forward. Israel, well, Israel just needs just to go in there and start leveling buildings, just eliminate Gaza Strip out completely, and say go to your land towards the north and stay there. No more sandwiching us. No more attack. You attack us, we're going to take that land back. I, I, you know, Liliana, I hope they are not listening to or being dictated to by this administration because if they are, then then they're in trouble. But I'm with well, you. I mean, they need to they need to chart their own course. They need to act like the sovereign nation that they that they are. Thank you. I, again, I have to say, I'm, I'm always I'm always fascinated by the fact that when the left talks about like the good war, which for them is World War II, you realize that we fought World War II no holes barred. We were hitting everything. We were producing at the max. We were building ships and planes faster than anyone thought possible. We were hurling all of this into combat. No one said proportionality. It was only Pearl Harbor. Come on, people. They didn't even get the carriers. No one said that. No one said, well, you know, uh, the Germans got a raw deal at Versailles, and uh, you got to understand they're kind of gidgy about land and territory. and th That's a debate subject. I mean, that's something that historians and so forth have, have written about, but... But in the course of fighting back, fighting the Axis powers, the good war, the war that even the libs love, right? Hollywood makes makes adoring movies, saving Private Ryan. You know, they love they love World War II. We fought World War II with everything. 
The only thing they get queasy about is the atomic bomb, but they even that they love, as seen by the movie Oppenheimer. They don't love that we used it. They think it's super cool that we developed it. And, of course, they loved the fact that it was an international coalition of scientists. We couldn't have done it alone. But I, I'm fascinated by the fact that they will, on the one hand, or out of one corner of their mouth, lionize to this day, and I mean rightly so, because it was a fantastic, incredible moment for Western civilization. But they will say, that was good. Go get them. And by the way, who were we fighting? We were, yes, we were fighting the, the Nazi Germans. We were also fighting the, um, you know, the uh, Imperial Japanese. We were fighting an Asian race. And we wronged them by interring Japanese Americans during the war. But that doesn't even dent the enthusiasm. These same people think that every single thing Israel does and has done is wrong and overkill and disproportionate. And, and it, it makes no sense. And I know you, you people tell me all the time, why do you keep trying to make sense out of it? Why do you keep asking or pointing out that these things don't make sense? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated by that. I will never get over how obviously inconsistent that they are. The modern left is. Um, we'll kick it around. I saw an interesting, uh, Don Cooper, you might find this interesting. I saw an interesting interview with Joe Davis, who is the play-by-play guy for Fox in the World Series. And his full-time job is he's the Los Angeles Dodgers play-by-play guy. He's very young, and he's very, very good. I don't know if you like him or not, but I, I think he's really, really good at what he does. Very good at baseball. Yeah, I mean, he almost looks like a like a little kid somewhat. He's really young. Yeah, he's deceptive. He's older than he looks, mm-hmm. but he's very, very sharp and enthusiastic and crisp. I, I enjoy listening to him. Anyway, he was asked, because he succeeded Joe Buck, who did baseball for a long time on Fox, and he succeeded Vin Scully who was the Dodgers play-by-play guy. Joe Davis is the replacement for both of those names. So the interviewer, it was a podcast. I, I didn't recognize the host, but the, the, the podcast interviewer said, well, what, which was harder? And he said, well, obviously replacing Vin Scully was harder. He says, no offense to, to Joe Buck, who I like and who I grew up uh, watching or listening to, but Come on, Vin Scully? Imagine being the guy after Vin Scully. Wow. So you'd almost have to be, like, really young and for people to look, see you as just, okay, well, he's he's new and he's completely new and fresh and all that. It's the only way to do it, really. He's kind of a throwback. I, I think he is. I've, I've got a little sample of him. Let's, I'm going to listen. Uh, let me see if I yeah, can let's play, play a little sample here. Victory of the year. High fly ball to center field and deep. Back goes Hampson. It's happened! It's happened! Babe Ryu! Swing and a drive! Absolute madness! On an 0-1. Hits one a ton! 
Rollins is 0-1. Swatted to right center field. Diving play. A walk-off catch. That's kind of a sample of. Yeah, I um, I've had a little bit of an opportunity to call sports, and baseball is by far the most enjoyable, uh, radio-friendly, I think, sport there there's ever been, and it's um. Because it's not fast-paced and it's not time-sensitive, um, it, it is a little bit more like you're having a you're, you're hosting or having a conversation. You know, everything else in sports is is very fast and keyed to the clock, and um, especially on radio, stuff like hockey is is murder because because you cannot keep up with the action. There's no way to do it. Uh, every player has the puck for a quarter of a second. But um, yeah, baseball when done right is is, and it's the sport I think maybe more than any other sport. You will hear people say sometimes that they listen to people they enjoy, even if they're not really into the uh, the teams or or even into baseball. I, I had an, an aunt. I've told this story before. My my mom's sister was never a sports fan, but late in her life, when she could not sleep at night, her uh, you know bomb was putting a little transistor radio under her pillow and just having baseball, you know, late-night baseball play-by-play on um, because it was soothing and it was constant and it was available. So, Joe Davis. All right. um, It's Halloween night. You're going to have some activity at the front door maybe. Or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe you, you don't do that. You know, I keep the porch light on for a while, and then I, you know, call it quits. And um, and then it's time to watch your favorite scary movie. I mean, this is the you wait for this night. You save the really good one for tonight. A friend of mine today was saying he's going to watch the original Halloween, and I said again. He goes, "Yeah, I watched it. I, I've watched it a thousand times. I enjoy it every time." What is that movie for you? What is the the horror movie that is not only your favorite, but you can watch it over and over and over. You know where the jumps are. You know who really did it. You know not to open that door, but you watch again and again anyway. What's your favorite horror movie? 210-599-5555. I think tonight for me, I've got it narrowed down. I don't think I can watch both of these tonight. I think I've got it narrowed down to The Shining or Silence of the Lambs. And Silence of the Lambs is almost like half in and half out of that category. Like, I don't know if that, is that a horror movie or is that a like a really eerie mystery movie? Like, is it really more of a, like a, of a thriller? But I, I would, I would say it kind of, it kind of fits horror. It has some supernatural stuff to it. The, some of the images, you know, and, and 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 I mean, Silence of the Lambs is one of those movies that also, more than most horror movies, I mean, like everybody gets certain references. You can do the little thing or the fava beans line or the the mask, you know, the lector mask. Everybody gets that, right? Um, what is your favorite? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. I made a list. We we talked about our favorites last year at this time. And I had ranked uh, my top ten. I don't want to hear the whole ten, though. I want to just hear. Give me like your favorite one or two. Uh, we'll take those calls, uh, and then we're going to dig into um, 
school choice and vouchers a little bit because I heard something interesting that I wanted to run by you and see what you think about it. There are movies I really like that I have a hard time watching. Like, I, I, I love The Omen, but I, I can't watch it over and over again. That is so disturbing. The original Omen, you know, the whole, it's for you, Damien. Oh, I get goosebumps. Um, the Ring, very, very intense, very hard to watch. But, I mean, it's incredible. If you've never seen it, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. I mean, put all the lights on, have people around you, you know, <laughs> plan for a fun activity afterwards. Watch it in broad daylight. All right, what's your uh, go-to for Halloween night, your favorite horror movie, 210-599-5555? John is on the radio. Hi, John. Happy Halloween. Hi, Jack. Happy Halloween. Thanks for taking my call. Jack, yes. listen, seriously, yes. let's talk about yes. the body counts in Halloween, the original movie, 10, maybe 12 corpses. Okay. Halloween 2, 15 to 20 corpses. Michael Myers, oh, yeah, now he's getting up in the double digits, you know, getting yeah. close to 50. Uh, Jack, hear me out. Listen. Okay, yes. Way, way beyond any comprehensible, any, anything reasonable is in Halloween 3, uh-huh. season of The Witch, which had nothing to do with Michael Myers. Okay. Um, Connell Cochran, the uh, president and founder <clears throat> of Silver Shamrock Novelties, Okay. He devised a plan, diabolical, I might say, Jack. <laughs> yes. Children at one time. Ten million. Let's add up oh. all of the Halloween wow. movies. Uh, original one and I, go to the very Wait a minute, I've never Halloween I've never seen end. this version. I've never seen this this uh this is Halloween three. Very unknown and because wow. of that, yes, Halloween three. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, no connection to Michael Myers or Haddonfield, Illinois at all. But, Jack, hear me out. Hear me out, Jack. I've been hearing you the whole time you've been on. Yes, I'm hearing you. Michael Myers is Uh a sophomoric attempt at Uh diabolical homicide. Okay. May I say amateurish, because Connell Cochran, the genius behind Mm. Silver Shamrock Novelties, Okay. devised a way and implemented, implemented at the end of the movie. Mm. Watch it, Jack. Okay. Your okay. spine will tingle. Your spine okay. will tingle. He mm-hmm. implemented, implemented a plan, devised it, implemented it to murder 10 million I hear you. children. I, my spine started tingling when I realized that you had been counting the number of people killed in the first two Halloween movies. I, I swear to God, I have never heard of anyone... Like, did you have like a clipboard and a and a and a pencil? I mean, who counts the who Jack. counts the deaths? John, you're scaring me more than Michael Myers or the Silver Springs guy. But I will say this: I will say this. You know how to sell a movie. Like you've made me curious. Now I need to see this movie. Why don't more people know about it? Why didn't we know about it? Because it did not have anything to do, no connection at all to Michael okay. Myers, it flopped at the box office. I it see. It was the music. You now, get this. The music okay. was produced by John Carpenter. Creepy, yeah. creepy music. Same style, right. really creepy, kind of sends you into a shiver. But listen, to, and hear me out, Jack, one more time. And I know you got to go. 
But listen to this story. <laughs> if you don't get creeped out right. by the yep. scene where it shows Dr. Chalice. Now, get it? Dr. Chalice? Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Chalice. Um, uh, Colin, uh, Connell Cochran addresses Dr. Chalice, and he turns around when he leaves him tied to a chair to view the carnage. He leaves him tied, literally tied to a chair to view the carnage for the night. He mm. turns around, and upon closing the door, he looks at him very creepily. Creepily, mm. that's a new yep. word. I, I made that up. Yep. Um, yep. He looks at him, and he says, Happy Halloween. Oh, and he right. says it just like that. Remember, he's a physician. Right. I am going to check this out. I am going to check this out. John, every movie should have a fan like you. Every movie should have somebody that loves it as much as you love. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. There it is, Don. We should just end the show right now. <laughs> Nobody can follow that call. Nobody can follow that. I, you know Where what? Do you go from there? I want him to call on, our, on the dish one Friday night <laughs> and describe a restaurant thing. he entertained. I was yes. thinking the same thing. I, I worry about what he would rate the restaurant on, though. I really do. Um, wow. I I did not know. I knew I had not seen all the Halloweens. I, I know I hadn't kept up with all of them. I didn't know there was one that didn't have Michael Myers in it. That's weird. Well, That's it, like, a, like having a James Bond movie without James Bond. He's, right? He saved me about two hours. I I don't really have to even watch Halloween 3. Well, we he have now heard the whole thing. So That's well. true. We have heard the whole We did hear the whole thing. He did everything but hum the tune, I think. Um, 210-599-5555, and I'm going to give Kurt the job of trying to follow that, which, Kurt, you may or may not be able to do, that's but uh, that's happy that's Halloween, that's Kurt. I, I, that, happy Halloween to you as well, Jack. Yeah, it's a tall order. I don't think I can... can, can but uh, before can I ask you about your movie, though, you're going to have to know the total number of people that were killed in it, um, or I can't continue with this. Uh, it's less than <laughs> It's less than 10. It's 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 less than ten. I I, I, I didn't keep count. I, I didn't have a whiteboard like. Uh, I think it's good that you didn't count. Caller. I think it's good. Yeah. Okay. So it's uh so, the the uh, the hills have eyes. So it's, oh, so yeah. it, it came out in '06. Did you see it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, yes. It's not a Halloween movie, right? Just like you said, uh, 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 with the uh, Anthony Hopkins. Um, it's a, uh, yeah, like Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Silence of the Lambs, but it does have. So the guy, the father was uh, Frank Levin. He was the guy that played Buffalo Bill, and um, you know it puts the lotion in the basket. He's oh, in I didn't too. know that. He's, he's, oh, okay. Yes, he's the oh. father. He was a former detective, and he he gets caught up in oh we're gonna go they're out in the desert, you know, and then they get caught up with these people who have nuclear you know fallout damage, you know. He also have eyes. It's just nasty. It's just that's. It's not my. It's not certainly not my favorite movie. But when it comes to to, to my favorite scary movie, yes, it's mm -hmm. one. that's like, eh, you know. See, yeah. there's like some uh, scary movies that you want to watch over and over, and then there's some that are so that that scary is so bad. You're like one and done. Wh which one would this be? Can you watch this over and over, or was one enough? Not, no, no, I can't watch it over and over. The reason is because there's it, it gets it gets it gets really gruesome. Yeah. He gets these people. They burn. Uh, you know, it's not I'm not giving up the trailer or anything, but it gets really graphic. And uh, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an adaptation of a 1977 Wes Craven original. You know, mm -hmm. and, and they redid it in, 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 in 06. And it's yeah, to me, it's it's probably I guess if you can have a quote unquote favorite scary movie, I guess it's my favorite scary scary movie because I just appreciate it. But have, have a happy Halloween, Jack. 
You too, Kirk. Good to hear from you. The Hills Have Eyes. He recommends the 06 version over the 1977 version. Clint is on KTSA. Happy Halloween, Clint. Happy Halloween to you, Chuck. How are you doing, man? Good. How are you? Good. I think we are the same age, so I think you might be able to... I'm sorry to hear that. It's it's the cross (laughs) we bear. No, the the three Omen movies scare me to death. I had three older siblings back in the day, and I was dragged into movies at Northwest End whenever back in the day. I never should have been... Because I was the youngest, and it scared the crap out of me. Anyway, by the way, Northwest you know, Ten scary in its own right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Buyer beware. Yes, yeah. when you're there. But um, and then the Amityville Horror. That was the first one. Was enough. Yeah. that scared me yeah. for years. But what I wanted to call you about was a lesser known George C. Scott movie, 1980-ish. So you and I were 14-ish, called The Changeling. Well written, no special effects. It was just, it was just a good old fashioned ghost story. And I don't know how you would find that in 2023 unless you find an old DVD. I don't know if they stream that or not, but that is totally worth a watch. Very well written. trying to remember. I feel like I might have seen that, or maybe I saw like part of it. What is that basically about? Well, without giving too much of it away, a famous writer, George C. Scott, lost his family in an accident and moved to a kind of an old uh, building just to, I guess, just to kind of hide and to continue to write and get his life together, not knowing right. that that house had a story behind it. And uh, I guess beings wanting to reach out to him, and it's just an excellent, excellent mm. uh, scary show. As a ghost, it's a ghost story, for example. That's One thing I, I think I've thinking. learned from horror movies is if if there's ever a tragedy in life, do not move to a house like out in the middle of, right, like. Get a condo. You know what I mean? Like, stay with the people. You know, townhouse, small apartment. Right. But you can just run down to the store and see others. Yeah, this is, I yeah. think, like an upstate New York kind of kind of esque of, uh, uh, well, the mansion in the, in, the, in the snowy woods where it's really mm-hmm. tough to get to town. You have problems. And in those days, there were no cell phones in mm-hmm. you know, 1980s. Cro-Magnon man was running around with us. You know, uh, you were on your own out at that mansion in the uh, in the woods and uh, but great it's just a great it's just, it's just an excellent scary show thank you I, i'm gonna have to watch that all all the way through because i think i've seen parts of it like when it used to be on like late night tv and stuff like that and i'll bet you we could find it either on uh maybe on prime or or something like that but i'm gonna check that out that's a good one clint thank you for that and you have a good night sir thank you very good choice i mean i love george c scott and obviously yes the thing to do in times of tragedy is you know move into the woods uh, upstate new york uh, Pacific Northwest, you know, get away from anybody that might be able to help you. Um, definitely find a house that no one's lived in for a really long time. It's full of cobwebs and stuff because that's where you're going to find happiness. I mean, let's face it, nothing cheers you up like a house where stuff's broken and has old plumbing. And well, that just puts a skip in your step, doesn't it? I mean, absolutely. I want to be in a place where I am all alone so I can dwell on my on my tragedy. You know, yes, definitely. You never see a horror movie, though. Where like it's the, um, you know, it's like the 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 homeowners association at the at the condo is haunting you, or you know the the, <laughs> the condo president is killing everybody. You never see that, right? Like never never in like the um, you know the 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 apartment complex. That's never that's never where it happens. But yeah, you move out into the woods, uh, preferably uh, you know after a tragedy. Needs to be a couple of creepy locals that, like, you know, unlock it for you and tell you if you need anything, they'll be just down the road. 
And, uh, you know, yeah, go from there. What, what could possibly go wrong? If you're a single woman, by the way, or you're a single mom, even better, you know, it's definitely totally safe. Um, a lot of power outages and stuff like that that are very comforting. Should be like a giant chandelier in the front hall that at some point will fall on somebody and impale them. You know, just just looking out for you. Just trying to help you here. I'm in a quicksand and I'm starting to sing. I need someone to help me, but I don't know which way to turn. I know I don't have much of a choice. I'll go out of my mind. Or into the night. You know, I think that... I think one of the ingredients of a good horror movie, at least I think so, is characters doing things that you just know they should not do. You don't know what will happen, but you know they should not do it. Like when I watch a James Bond movie, he does dangerous things, he does daring things, but I know he needs to do them, and if I was him, I'd do them too. But like... One of my favorite horror movies, it's not a very well-known movie, is a movie called The Game. Have you ever seen that one done? The Game with Michael Douglas? Yes. Yes, I have. Yes, About I 25 have. years ago. Michael Sean Douglas Penn, and believe, Sean right? Penn. Yeah. They're brothers. And Michael Douglas is this rich, successful guy, and Sean Penn is this weird, ne'er-do-well younger brother, and um, kind of like the black sheep of the family thing. And he gives Michael Douglas... As a birth, I think it's a birthday, some holiday, probably birthday. It's his gift. birthday. He gives him this this like uh, gift card membership to this thing, this uh, sort of club or organization. It's totally shifty and sketchy, and not, nothing about it seems legit. And you're looking at Michael Douglas, beautiful car, beautiful home, great job, it's the best of everything. Why would you even do this? Just throw it away. Throw it away. No, he goes. He joins, he walks through every door, he, he falls into every trap. His entire life, I won't give it away, but he, I mean, he just, he ruins everything. Everything. And you're thinking, if somebody gives me a gift card, and I'm not sure about it, it's just going in a drawer, right? End of, no movie, end of story. I, I don't know what this is, I'm not interested, goodbye. No, he does every bit of it. It's a good movie. It's hard to watch, though, because... The whole time you're just you want to grab Michael Douglas by the lapels, like, dude, what? <laughs> I'm what not a, are you doing? I'm not a huge fan of Sean Penn, but he actually hit the character that he played in that movie. He, he did it, it very well, really well. Well, yeah. he's so he seems like the kind of person that would be that way. Like he'd probably give you that, you know, like in real life. Yeah, good casting. Um, so favorite horror movie two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Got to got to show a little love to Rosemary's Baby. A uh, little. Little throwback action for Rosemary's Baby. I think I've told this story before, but uh, my my brother Peter and I, Peter is four years younger than me. We're at home on a Sunday with my grandmother watching us. I'm like, I think I'm about ten, so he'd be about six or seven. We're it's Sunday afternoon. It's like Laurel and Hardy, and you know, fun funny movies and old movies. There's Channel 56 in Boston shows these old movies. Okay, so we're there. Nana falls asleep. The movie we're watching ends. The next movie comes on. And he and I talked about this later, and we both looked at each other like, well, let's not say anything. She's asleep. Let's keep watching. The next movie was Rosemary's Baby. 
not a movie, if we had asked permission or if there'd been an adult in the house, no way would we have been allowed to watch that. No way. And I can't do it justice without giving away too much, but even now, would, would you agree, Don? I mean, even now, that is a disturbing movie. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And that's a movie they made when they didn't show you stuff. They let your imagination... Mm-hmm. Like, you you see the look on Mia Farrow's face when she sees her baby. You don't see it, but you see her face when she's... And that's it. And everyone who watched I, the movie, basically, in their own mind describe that baby's face as what they imagine it mm-hmm, to look like mm-hmm. basically and that's kind of how it was I was a 10 year old that needed a cigarette at that moment I it was that was rough and I laugh about it because it's one of those you know parenting moments no matter how great a parent you are I mean your kids eventually see certain things or you know it just happens they they're, they're going to see stuff or be at somebody's house or be at a friend's house or what like you know, people that monitor their kids phones you know that you can do that, and it's good, but their friends have phones, too, and sooner or later they're going to see the stuff you didn't want them to see. So, uh, 210-599-5555. What is it for you, your favorite horror movie? Is it clowns? Is it um, fixer-uppers in the woods? Is, is, is it um, mysterious uh, strangers that come into your life? Um I think The Shining has, like, all those things, right? Like, it has the remote location, it has the creepy people, it has the... Um, you have you have the fact that Jack Nicholson, who obviously makes that movie, seems like he's always on the edge of madness anyway. Like, we've always seen that in him. I, I'm not sure how that movie would have worked with just anybody uh, playing, uh, playing Jack. But uh, he's so good in that. And that, that is, I think, probably my all-time favorite, uh, favorite horror movie. And I, and I think it's a really well-done movie, too. Like, it's really well-made. It's like beautifully shot. You know, I don't know a lot about these things, but like, I can recognize when a movie is beautiful to look at, right? Um, and then, you know, you've got to have some cheesy horror movies, too. Like, I've always, had a, I've always loved Christine, the movie about the, the, the car. It's so bad, and yet it's so good. And it's it's very eighties, and um, I'm not sure if it was that moment in time, but like there was something about those fifties and sixties songs on the soundtrack that were creepy in a way that they shouldn't have been. Like those songs come from a pretty innocent era, but for whatever reason, the way they're employed in that movie, they come through the dashboard of the Plymouth and stuff like that. Just very scary, very weird. Um, and, um, got to put, speaking of Stephen King, got to, got to put in a, an honorable mention for misery too. That's again, great acting. Kathy Bates, James Kahn, incredible story. Um, didn't see, I don't think we knew, really knew who she was. So you didn't really see that coming until she, uh, turned into the hostess with the mostest. Uh, what is your favorite? 210 599 I've got one I've, I always mention when we do this. It's it's very obscure. You may come across it on, like, TCM. It's in black and white. It's called Carnival of Souls. Did you ever see that one, done? Carnival of Souls? I don't think I have. Yeah, Google that one, and um, sometime when you've got nothing to do, quiet weekend, you're bored, whatever, watch Carnival of Souls. 
um, and then go out and be around a lot of people, like as quickly as, as soon as the movie ends. Uh, but that's, that's one where this girl survives a car accident, and it turns out it would have been better if she, you know, if she didn't, um, because stuff follows her around and stuff's happening. But again, it's another one of those movies where you're like, the, the character is in all these situations you would never put yourself in in real life. She moves into a boarding house with these weird people and this weird lady that runs it, and she's alone, and there's no one around she can town on, and there's this weird guy hitting on her, and it's like, none of this has to happen. Go back to town, right? You live here? Yes. Well, maybe you know what a zombie is. When a person dies and is buried, it seems there's certain voodoo priests who, who have the power to bring him back to life. Oh, horrible. It's worse than horrible because a zombie has no will of his own. You see them sometimes... Walking around blindly with dead eyes, following orders, not knowing what they do, not caring. You mean like Democrats? <laughs> so, uh, Bob Hope. All right, 652 on KTSA. Uh, just out, it has just come out, college football playoff rankings. Uh, first one, they'll do this every week now until the end of the season. Uh, top four uh, college football playoff rankings. If the playoffs were starting today, it would be Ohio State at number one, Georgia at number two, Michigan at number three, and Florida State at number four. The other undefeated team, Washington, is number five. Texas is at number seven in these uh, rankings, which, again, will you know change. Uh, you know that uh, Georgia is ranked number one in the coaches' poll and the AP poll, but I think Ohio State is considered to have had the better resume, like the better wins. So it goes ahead of Georgia and Michigan, um, but that'll change. Um, on our JR poll, powered by River City Oral Surgery, our question was, are you handing out candy tonight? 58% say yes, they are. 42% say no. I ate it all before the kids came. Um, new poll question tomorrow. We get started live at 4, or you can find it anytime at ktsa.com. And we've been talking about, uh, in honor of Halloween, your favorite horror movie. Maybe it's one that you watch like every year, or maybe it's one that was so horrible you could only watch it once. And Matt is next on the radio on KTSA. Hi, Matt. Hey, how are you doing? Happy Halloween, Matt. Yeah, happy Halloween to you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, one that I only watched once. I was at a friend's house, uh, and I can't remember if it was Halloween or not, but we watched Event Horizon, and I had to drive back home to Bernie in this 1970 <laughs> Chevy Impala station wagon land yacht, and I was so freaked out the whole ride that I thought something was going to jump out of the back of that station wagon yeah. and grab me. <laughs> Oh, I can yeah, picture that. Now, again. tell me what that's about. I, I I never saw that. I know it's like a space movie, right? Yeah, it's a space horror movie. It's got Sam Neill uh, from Jurassic Park and Lawrence Fishburne. And uh, they, they go through some black hole, but through that black hole, they go through some, like, evil dimension that comes back to the ship, taunting the ship, something like that. But it, I don't remember it all because I saw it so long ago. But, yeah, that freaks me out. And then a movie yeah. that I thought was, you know, one that you're saying that's so cheesy, I, could, I love to watch it over and over again, is uh, The Evil Dead with Bruce Campbell. Oh, there you go. Yep, there you go. 
Yeah. No, but I know what you mean about, like, uh, the last thing you need to be doing after a movie like that is driving alone. Because all of a sudden, that car yeah. makes all kinds of noises you've never heard that car make before, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, every, inside and every, out. Every uh, turn of the road, too. i got to check that one out, Event Horizon. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate the call. Um, another cheesy one. It's so bad. It's so wrong. Have you ever seen The Bad Seed? Don, have you ever seen that? Oh, yes, 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 yes. And um, it's well, not really, uh, I don't think there's any, like, big stars in it. Um, the little girl that mm-hmm. plays the main character became kind of a star. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm blanking on his name, but Paul Drake from uh, Perry Mason is is in it. He's her dad, in fact. It doesn't really have any big uh, name actors or actresses in it. But man alive, is that a crazy story. It's this little girl, and she's just... She is um, irredeemably evil. And it is so disturbing. And again, you got to remember, this came out like the late 50s. It's so disturbing what she does. And again, no spoilers, what happens to her, that they actually have to like put disclaimers at the beginning and the end of the movie to reassure you that she's alive and everybody is alive and everybody's okay. And they're like, smiling and at the end of the movie there's this crazy like thing with the credits where the actress who plays her mother gives her like a pretend spanking (laughs) i know i'm not doing it justice but i swear to god this happens and they're giggling and laughing because they're trying to like cheer you up like even they know they've shown you something so just wrong that we gotta we gotta like lighten the mood Imagine if every horror movie did that, like at the end of, like, you know, Silence of the Lambs. Like, you know, there's there's uh, Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins just kind of, like, elbowing each other in the ribs and yucking it up. I mean, it's just crazy what they do at the end of The Bad Seed, but you can see why they had to. No, it you, comes to a surprise ending, it. no doubt about it. I want to give it away so bad, but, I mean, if you get a chance to see this, get this, this little girl plays this. And the very, ending is very... not even, like, the ending is not is not the best part. Like, it's it's what happens during the movie. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It's, but she's just very nice and sweet, and she does everything. You know, the one star perfectly. in that movie, I think, is Eileen Heckert, who was kind of a kind of a star for a while, and I think she even got some award. She plays a woman whose son dies in the movie, and it's the best acting in the whole movie, which is would not be hard to do, given the uh, given what's going on. Anyway. Uh, you can always uh, hit the Jack Chat line if you didn't get through with your horror movie, 210-599-5550. And uh, we'll catch up on those tomorrow, and we'll see you back here live at 4 tomorrow.